Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is sponsored by Ava Jane's Kitchen Kalima Sea Salt. This salt harvested from the ancient Kalima salt flats in Mexico is super delicious, super crunchy, and free of ocean-borne microplastics. Tastes great on everything from steak to eggs to water to coffee. I personally use it in all my meals and between meals for a bit of a pick-me-up. Just go like this. Very good. And with every purchase, you'll be supporting the show and the Solaneros that work tirelessly to bring you this delicious salt. Check out carnivorecastsalt.com, all one word. That's carnivorecastsalt. Get your first bag of Kalima sea salt absolutely free. Only pay for shipping. Brett and Harry are the hosts of the Meat Mafia podcast, which addresses fundamental problems in our food and healthcare system. Their principles are simple. Eat real food buy locally, and cook your own meals. They're advocates of carnivore and animal-based forms of eating. Brett used a carnivore diet to put his ulcerative colitis and IBS into full remission. Brett and Harry are also competitive, low-carb, ultra-endurance athletes, having completed Ironmans, 100K ultras, marathons, and numerous triathlons. Wow, Uh, that's awesome. Cool, well, welcome to the show, Brett and Harry. Thanks for having us, Scott. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, so I'd love to start with... um, Maybe we can hear a little bit about like why you started the podcast and, and what got you into that. Perfect. Yes, we um, we started writing out online in, in December of last year, really just trying to get some information out there about what was happening in the food system. And it quickly turned into us writing on Twitter and we saw that a ton of growth happened really quickly. A lot of people were looking for information around health and Honestly, the podcast was just like the next iteration. So we got really excited about the idea of just getting some of these guests on who had inspired us to get down the the carnivore rabbit hole and quickly just dove right in. Uh, We've had some like amazing guests on, uh, Sean Baker, Rob Wolf, um, you know, a host of others. But it was really inspired by writing online and then just wanting to iterate to the next step pretty quickly. Yeah. And Scott, I think to add to, to what Harry said too, it's like, a lot of this, a lot of our content is just inspired by our own experiences with this certain style of eating. I think, you know, both Harrison and I, our story is that we, uh, you know, we played college baseball together, graduated, started working corporate jobs, and both kind of had our own separate health journeys and realized that once we like, once we made the return to real foods and cooking our meals and relying on a lot of really good quality animal protein and saturated fat, you know, the, the health issues that we were dealing with went away, we felt amazing. And then we were just like consuming a lot of this information. And and we got to a point where we were like, well, why don't we start to put some of this information out here, especially from some, from two guys that have been consuming this stuff for a long time and uh, try and make it a little bit more easily digestible for people because, you know, we're not MDs, we're not nutritionists, but we've kind of put in the 10,000 hours and have had our own, you know, successful journeys with, uh, through, through diet and lifestyle. Yeah, that's awesome. I I can certainly relate. Um, as as a former college athlete, 
um, and having my own host of health issues coming out of that yeah. um, and no real nutrition guidance. I definitely want to get into both of your kind of health stories, but I'm curious, like looking back on where you are now, this is something I often wonder, do you think um, like there will ever be any form, good or bad, of like consistent nutrition information for college athletes? Because at least in my experience, and, and I was a lightweight rower, so it involved like mm. a lot of cutting weight. So nutrition is even more important, um, kind of like wrestling. There was none. There was like no <clears throat> even acknowledgement that you were eating food. <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, just make the weight every time before the race. Um, and that's it. Like, you know, whatever, go, go do what you need to do. Yeah. It's really a shame. Cause I think it's a massive oversight in terms of the performance conversation, uh, that gets overlooked. You know, Brett and I both, I, I think we kind of epitomized the, the idea of when we were competitive, uh, baseball players, it was like fit, but unhealthy in some ways, like the lifestyle didn't necessarily support all the things that we were doing in the gym, both of us being extremely uh, dialed in on the gym. But then there's obviously a lot of improvements or enhancements uh, that could happen uh, just through improving diet. So it's an interesting question. I, I think nutrition is just such a soft science and getting consensus on it is a challenge because everyone has their, their take. Um, but you know, I think with like the dissemination of these types of podcasts and information, it kind of empowers people to go down these rabbit holes for themselves and just see how they can optimize their own health through nutrition. Uh, but uh, Brett, I don't know if you had anything to add to that. Yeah, it just seems like in particular with college athletics, there's such a strong emphasis on strength and conditioning. But I don't ever remember being <laughs> spoken to by like a nutritionist in college or like, all of us, you know, we, we were having like 5.30 morning lifts and taking, you know, just loading up on caffeine. And then afterwards, like just jamming like these protein powders, which are just dehydrated whey protein with preservatives that are making it shelf stable. And no one's like, I, no one was ever saying, hey, if you had just eaten a steak after, it's like the best, most complete form of protein and recovery that you could possibly have. But I think what's cool is that this movement, I mean, we graduated, Harry graduated 2016, I graduated 2017. And you know this because you're leading, you're helping to lead the space. There's been such an amazing amount of content that's come out just in that five-year period that I know some guys that are college athletes at a, a couple D1 programs in the Northeast, and they're saying that they're really into the animal-based movement, and they're the they're seniors on the team, and they're doing like they're taking like honey with sea salt as their form of pre-workout, and they're um, they're eating ground beef after their lifts. And they're teaching the younger guys about this stuff. So, and then you see other Main Street athletes like Noah Syndergaard, you know, huge pitcher for the Phillies, all-star pitcher. He's adopting an animal-based diet. So hopefully we can get some of these bigger influencers that are performing at the highest level to understand how good they feel with animal protein. And then that can kind of like disseminate down to the lower levels. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Oh, go ahead, Harry. I, I was just going to add, like, it's easy to be pessimistic because there's so much bad information out there, but it does seem like on the performance side of things, the truth eventually kind of reaches the surface over a long enough time period. Like if these animal-based athletes really do have an edge, I think people will look to that and see that, oh, hey, maybe I can get a performance edge just by changing my diet and eating a little bit more nutritionally, um, trying to find whole foods. I do think the one of the problems with college athletics is you're on like a college budget usually. So you do opt for like those easy, simple fixes where 
oh, hey, maybe I can just slam protein powder instead of going and getting ground beef from the cafeteria or, you know, whatever it is. So it does have a little bit more of a limiting factor in that regard. But I think if the information gets out there, exactly to what Brett was saying, people will start following it just because they think they can get an edge. This episode is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their amazing magnesium breakthrough formula for stress relief and better sleep on a carnivore diet. Try it yourself at www.magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecasts and use code carnivore10 to save and help support the show. For August, they've prepared a special offer for our listeners. You'll be able to buy magnesium and get free bottles of the full line of digestive health products, including Masszymes, patented probiotics, and more. Check them out at magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecast and remember to use carnivore10. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely coming a long way. And I'd be curious, really curious to see like what types of sources of information some college athletes are consuming now. Because um, like back, I graduated in 2014. And at least in my early days in college, like podcasts weren't even a thing. Um, Instagram wasn't even really a thing. <laughs> I feel old, but um, you know, there wasn't even an acknowledgement of like, it's important to get protein after your workouts or like make sure you're fueling for your workouts. There was nothing. Um, so it's, it's crazy um, how, how little there was. Um, but yeah, in, interesting topic, just something I thought it would be appropriate to ask you both. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to hear maybe um, one at a time, kind of how you found your way to, to um, this, this way of eating or, or maybe bounce back and forth. And, um, you know, some of the things you were experiencing before. Yeah, I think Harry and I, our stories play off of each other really well. Um, where my, the, some of the medical issues that I was facing were a little bit more rare. Whereas I think some of the stuff that Harry was experiencing is extremely relatable to a lot of people when they start to work a corporate job. Um, but just a little bit on myself, my, I, for me, I had adopted a carnivore style of eating, just trying to treat ulcerative colitis through diet and lifestyle. Um, so in 2016, I was interning going into my senior year of college and I started noticing like just this increased urge to have to go to the bathroom. And, you know, I ended up going to the bathroom it was probably like 20 to 30 times a day, like typically straight blood, just because I really wasn't processing anything that I was eating. Um, you know, I got hospitalized and got diagnosed with uh, with ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune disease that affects, I think it's somewhere between like 600 to 900,000 uh, people in the U.S. And um, it affects your large intestine, which is your colon. Crohn's is kind of like the sister disease to that. It affects your, your small intestine. And it's basically like your, your colon just gets so inflamed, either through genetics, diet, lifestyle, stress. I think it was probably some combination of all four for me that you're just not processing anything that you're eating. Um, and so with all these autoimmune diseases, whether it's Crohn's, colitis, I, um, IBS, psoriasis, eczema, they say that it's incurable. So the best that you can do is put it into remission. Um, so for me, I got on a drug called Remicade, which was a biologic drug administered through an IV. I would get that every eight weeks. And uh, the medication was like $50,000 per infusion. So Luckily, you know, I had I had good insurance and good benefits through my company, but you know, I'm costing the the medical system four hundred thousand dollars per year. Plus, you know, you can do the math on everyone else that's on Remicade. I mean, the numbers are absolutely outrageous. So, 
you know, I'm basically told that I need to be on this drug for my entire life. And then um, I was working a tech sales job in New York in 2019. And that was when I first stumbled across uh, Sean Baker going on Rogan's podcast, basically talking about how amazing animal products are, how digestible they are, how we've evolutionarily been designed to be carnivore, which I thought was interesting. And then the kicker was he started talking about all these anecdotal instances of people that are effectively curing these autoimmune conditions by adopting this animal-based or carnivore style of eating. So for me, I'm like, well, why would I not try and at least implement some of these foods? Because I don't want to be dependent on a drug every eight weeks that also has a whole host of other side effects. So like I very vividly remember like in 2019, just eating all animal products, steak, chicken, eggs, some fish, water. I, I did do a little bit of coffee and literally Scott, within like the first four to five days, my symptoms went down to, I think I started, I was going to the bathroom like twice a day within four to five days. Um, and it's funny, right? Cause you hear a lot of stories of people that go carnivore that have these issues and they, they, a lot of issues will clear up within the first week. Um, and then since then, it's just kind of been this progression of just getting more and more refined with it, you know, cooking my meals, being very intentional about where my fats are coming from. And, you know, I've implemented things like fruit and raw milk and vegetables, and I'll cycle back and forth with those things. And sometimes I'll go back to strict carnivore. Sometimes I'll throw in some other products. Um, but, you know, since that time, my all of my inflammation is effectively and microinflammation has gone away and I'm completely, you know, drug free now, which is uh, it's just an amazing testament to when you're giving your body the foods and the nourishment that it actually wants, how it can actually 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 perform. So, um, you know, that's kind of my my health journey. And then, you know, obviously Harrison's had his own uh, awesome experience with this diet. Yeah. And I think as Brett said, my story kind of complements his nicely because it's it's different, but it's pretty relatable. So, you know, in college, I was always the guy who's very focused, like performance based in the gym and mindful of diet. So I had experimented with a paleo diet in college um, and had got honestly gotten like the best shape of my life. Uh, went sophomore year of college playing baseball, eating a paleo diet. And so at that point, I was I was really dialed in with, you know, how I was feeling, uh, got in tune with just like that amazing energy you feel when you're eating right. But once I graduated, I my priorities shifted. I worked at a, a corporate job and the training went down and then my focus on the nutrition kind of got lost. Um, so, you know, within a matter of a few years, I was not feeling like the athlete that I once was. And, um, you know, that was concerning to me. So when um, when COVID hit, I really wanted to spend more time just focusing on how I can really dial in my nutrition and create like a, a really strong foundation of my health. I'd kind of lost that um, in a lot of ways, you know, I had put on a little extra weight, wasn't feeling as healthy as I used to. And so I, I experimented with a keto diet and, you know, I was cooking basically all of my meals, which previously when I was working, I was going to lunch, getting the fast casual foods, like still trying to eat relatively healthy. But, you know, there was always those nights where you're working long hours and they had snacks in the kitchen. And it, it was just an easy choice to, you know, go into the kitchen and grab a bag of chips or grab some Oreos um, and just start snacking. So the keto diet and cooking my meals really kind of just put the autonomy back in my hands. And I was really kind of just the, the the spark was lit and the flame was lit at that point where I was like, okay, I went from basically cooking like maybe one meal a day to a hundred percent of my meals. And I was focused on, you know, quality ingredients, prepping, learning new recipes, 
that fit this kind of keto mold, but you know, keto is kind of like a, a wide umbrella. And I was really just eating an animal-based diet. Um, and that at that point, I kind of came across the work with Sean Baker and, and some of the stuff that um, Paul Saladino were doing and just kept getting inspired by this idea of maybe trying to narrow the goalposts a little bit and, and work more towards a, a carnivore diet. So you know, I experimented with that as I kind of went along that journey and just try to keep things really simple. Um, when COVID hit, I got a lot of time, a lot of back to me. So I was able to, you know, the gyms were closed, but I was just focused on, you know, on, on the activity front. I was just going on long walks and trying to like keep my, you know, keep my performance and training stuff very simple and just focus on the nutrition side of things, which I think gave me like a unique lens of like really building out this foundation of, of health. And, um, you know, I saw my, I saw my body and my health transform incredibly quickly, like six weeks, I was down like 20 pounds back to the best shape of my life. And it was really all just through the nutrition, like spending the time in the kitchen and just getting to enjoy that process. Um, you know, obviously not having any social obligations really helps support that. Like my lifestyle was pretty simple, like just being um, you know, isolated to basically one location. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, that was kind of the spark for me where I was like, okay, this is the lifestyle I want to be living going forward. And just like kind of continuing to tinker with carnivore and animal based. Um, you know, and as like Brett said, uh, I think for me, I, I view carnivores as a real tool. I kind of sit in that like animal based bucket where, you know, I just recently ordered a, a quarter cow cook. <laughs> I cook about like, not, I, I cook a hundred, basically a hundred percent of my meals. And most of them are centered around that, you know, idea of sourcing really high quality ingredients and trying to like buy in bulk and, and just cook, you know, I, I have that cow. So I'm, I'm cooking basically all these different, um, styles of, of beef recipes, um, adding in some eggs and, you know, I found that to be the best thing that works for me. So um, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing journey. I think that, you know, our stories kind of complement each other well in terms of like, Brett really didn't have a choice. And I was there, I was kind of like, you know, your, your average guy who's, you know, working their job and just trying to, you know, figure out, okay, like, you know, how can I avoid all this garbage that's getting thrown in my face through this like demanding job, you know, long hours and, um, you know, kind of a stressful environment. And it's like, you know, if you, if you can optimize your diet and, and nutrition and you're working a corporate job, you're, you're definitely leaps and leaps and bounds ahead of the people who you're surrounding yourself with. So, um, you know, I found it to be, you know, an amazing kick kickstarter for me in terms of just what we're doing now and just like continuing to kind of push the envelope in, in all aspects of life. Yeah, that's, thank you for sharing. That's awesome. And it's, um, definitely relatable, both of your stories. I think actually very similar to my wife and myself, mm -hmm. um, her, her having to do it out of obligation and actually being diagnosed with Crohn's at one point. Oh, wow. Um, and then, uh, yeah, she almost went on the drugs for life, but was able yeah. to, to kind of reverse the diagnosis with carnivore. Um, and then myself, yeah, similarly, just starting a corporate job, having worse and worse eating habits and, um, feeling worse and worse and having some of my own, uh, digestive problems and, and gaining weight. Um, and I love that both of you really emphasize the cooking aspects. Um, uh, I think that's such an underrated skill. Um, and, and it's really cool that you both talk about that a lot. 
Yeah, I would say that as we've like, you know, everything has progressed very quickly with what we're doing, which is amazing. But I think that if there's like one focal point above all else that we really try and push is this emphasis on just like sourcing your own food and really taking the time to prepare, uh, prepare those meals. And really just you have the ability to control the inputs. It's really difficult to be healthy when you're eating out, even if you're trying to stick to a carnivore diet. It's, you know, it's one thing if you're traveling and you're, you know, you're going to get a steak here or there, but you really just don't have control over the oils that they're cooking it in or the preservatives that they're using or some of these other ingredients, or even if they're using like a sauce or a dressing or a marinade that has like seed oils in it. Um, it's just very difficult, but, and this stuff, it's it's not hard, right? It's like neither Harrison or I could really cook prior to going on this journey. And we started with like very basic things like, you know, steak, ground beef, learning how to roast a chicken. And then you like, you progress from there. And I think Harrison, I think you were doing like, you were trying to implement one new recipe a week or something like that, just to really yeah. build out like that repertoire of recipes. And now here you are, it's like, you have a quarter cow, and you have all you have all these different ways that you can prepare red meat, but it's like it's all started with that progression of like just first learning how to cook ground beef and kind of progress up from there. Yeah, and going back to you know this idea, like Brett and I are both college athlete, ex college athletes, and we don't have PhDs, but I think kind of reducing this whole thing down into we we are trying to make people healthy, and I think the easiest way to make people healthy is controlling the inputs and you know, whether you're going on like more of like a vegan diet or like almost any diet you choose to go down. If you're, if you're controlling the inputs and cooking your meals, it's going to be really hard to not get healthier in some ways. Right. Like, you know, I, I think it eliminates a lot of the processed garbage, um, a lot of the refined sugars, a lot of packaged foods. So when you start thinking about it in that way, like there's oversimplification of, of everything we think like cooking your own meals and prepping, uh, your meals is just a, a massive, like, you know, if you're going to focus on one thing, let it be that, cause it will have a massive positive externality. Um, you know, even, even if you do choose to do like another, a, a different style of eating, uh, different than carnivore. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to add on some things that Brett said, like I, I started off just trying to do like one meal, one meal a week that was different. And it started with like getting a Dutch oven and learning how to do some slow cooking recipes. And that was huge for me because I could kind of batch out like four to five meals uh, for the week, just in, in like a two hour period or, or, you know, depending on what I was cooking, you know, maybe a little bit longer with the slow cooking stuff. But, you know, I, I could kind of meal prep for the week in a really simple way. And um, just just that that concept of trying to add one little meal to my repertoire each week, kept it interesting, kept it fun. And it didn't put a whole lot of stress on me, which I think a lot of people feel when they're trying to like turn their health stories around. It's like the stress and pressure that they need to be perfect. And honestly, it was like setting the bar low, but honestly, it it, it made it so I could sustain it and, and continue to build momentum and, um, you know, kept it interesting. I think when you're building new skills, you're engaged, you want to learn more. And that's like a huge part of this whole process. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of that with any any goal, weight loss or anything. What's what's a small change you can make that you know will be easy to stick to? Um, and I think one thing you both hit on that I really liked is Brett said it, it's pretty hard um, to to have a good diet when you're not preparing any of your own meals. Mm -hmm. And then Harry, you said it's it's pretty hard 
to have an unhealthy diet if you are cooking all your own meals. I think <laughs> it's very well said. Yeah, there's just a certain intentionality that comes with it. And um, I think it could, you know, I think starting a carnivore diet or keto or paleo could be overwhelming for a lot of people because you're taking everything you know and, you know, going on this new journey. But like for us, it was very simple things like I was mentioning, like learning how to cook ground beef or learning how to properly sear a steak or a chicken. But it's like these things are so simple, but they're very delicious. And you get to a point where you realize, oh, wow, from start to finish, I can have an amazing steak that cost me 10 to $12 um, and it's ready to go in, in less than 10 minutes. I chop it up. I put it into a glass Tupperware container and then I have it ready to go for the next day. Um, so it's like just all these little things that compound over and over again. And then you eventually, you know, you just have your flow and your schedule. And the big thing is that when you're cooking all of your meals, you start to get this baseline understanding of what it actually feels like to have great me metabolic health. That was one of the first things that Harry and I, and I'm sure yourself too, Scott, noticed is like having this energy and this vitality to pop out of bed, not having to go to the bathroom multiple times a day, making great gains in the gym and getting that ideal body composition. You have this, you now have this understanding of how good you can feel by eating real foods that we've evolutionarily been designed to eat. And then it's like, you don't even think it's, you don't even think of these things as costs. You want to just keep doing it. So, so yeah. Yeah, um, totally. And how, um, how did like the meat mafia idea come up? And uh, I think that's a really cool like branding. How did you guys land on that? I really wish we had a better story for this, honestly. <laughs> um, so Brett and I were living together uh, last year, uh, just around this time frame, actually. So we had competed in an Ironman together. We're living under the same roof for about a month and cooked all our meals together. We're, re we're really just like enjoying this process of like the, you know, this is a college athlete, just like that preparation period, like where, you know, you have an event or, you know, you have your season coming up and you're just really dialed in with the preparation, the training, the nutrition. And so that month was kind of the catalyst for us to start what we were doing now. And it started with writing online. And initially we kind of took these anonymous names to Twitter. Uh, and, and we didn't really know, I was writing for a, a different blogger at the time, and we didn't really know which direction we were going to go in. We just wanted to start writing about the food system. And so I chose a, a, like a mafia name just because I thought it was, it was kind of fitting for what was happening with the food narratives out there, right? Like if, if these vegan uh, movements are popping up and kind of like top down trying to control the narrative around food, we needed this kind of mafia mentality, mafia mindset to uh, to fight back, and so we we just we both love the these Godfather movies and, and mafia movies. So we took these uh, mafia characters, and and uh, I think the inspiration for the meat mafia was really just kind of iterations and and trying to like fiddle around with names that could could stick and sound uh, you know sound like they had some some uh, a little bit of like this like small. Um, you know, under under the under the radar uh, sort of style to them, and I think that that was kind of like what we were going for. But we didn't really have too much foresight at the time. We didn't really know which direction it was going to be going into. Um, but you know, I think it fits perfectly for what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's definitely catchy um, and memorable. And how did you both get into um, kind of the ultra endurance space and doing Ironman and ultras and marathons? Yeah, I think we, the interesting thing is, um, 
you know, when we graduated, Harrison moved to Boston and then I, and then I uh, moved to New York and we both kind of just separately started doing these endurance races, which is, which is interesting because there's, you know, there's a lot of um, like contentious debate uh, just online over, you know, running and endurance versus strength training. And I think there's great arguments on both sides, but I think for both of us, the endurance is the endurance races has just been an amazing way to compete against yourself. And there's this amazing spiritual component that, that comes to that. So I would say that like, even though I played baseball, like I really didn't start running until after I graduated and it's like a progression, like everything else, like we're, like we're talking about with the diet where it's like, you know, you go out, you do a four mile run, then you push yourself and do a six miler, then an eight miler. And then you're saying to yourself, all right, why don't I do a half marathon? And then that half marathon leads to you doing more and then, you know, doing a full marathon. And then for us, it was really the Ironman we did, we ended up doing Ironman Texas last year, like Harry mentioned. And I think for us, that was just kind of a way to break the rut of COVID. Like, you know, routines are great, but they can also be a rut. And we both just wanted to get out of the Northeast and just do something that would really help kind of be like a focal point for our year and push ourselves, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually. So we ended up signing up for that race. And like Harrison had mentioned, like just the energy of having like another great friend around and just cooking our meals and pushing ourselves. That's really what, you know, led us and gave us the confidence to do what we were doing now, because we're, we're basically sitting here saying, Hey, look, we're two guys that have had great success with this diet and lifestyle yet as a society, we're metabolically failing where it's like 70% of adults are overweight or obese. Our kids are now about 40%, 40% of children are overweight or obese. One in 10 kids have fatty liver disease. So you know, something that was formerly reserved for like aged alcoholics, our kids are getting from eating too much sugar. Like there's something that needs to be done about this. And can we kind of establish a voice and an angle to dig into some of that stuff? But, you know, it's like our brand is basically built off of the backs of pushing ourselves through these races. And, you know, something that we always try and do is like, just put one big race on the year that that kind of scares us that we can center our year around. So like in August, we ended up doing a hundred K race. Uh, it was called the Habanero 100. So it was in Houston, Texas, and they I'm called gonna, it the Habanero get PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they call it, they call it the Habanero 100. Cause it's like the hottest part of the country, the hottest part of the year. And then they start the race at 12 PM. So the hot, the hottest part of the day. Um, so there were definitely some, uh, great idea. Yeah, it was a great idea. It was really smart. Um, but no, but it's like, but, but it's so funny when you recount it because you learn so much about yourself through the training and the races. Um, and that's just really like how we like to structure, structure ourselves and, and have fun with it and kind of turn it into an adventure. Yeah. I think that I, I, I was literally sitting here listening to you talk, Brad, and I was thinking the mental side of it is so important, but I do think that this scratches an, it, an itch for us, which is kind of that adventure aspect. Like these long races bring you from the highest of highs to lowest of lows. And it's just these, these things that you can bring with you through your day-to-day life that you'll be able to, they just, it helps you kind of center yourself um on like a yearly basis but like day to day you also kind of realize that like <clears throat> handling adversity is is really just a matter of perspective and i think through those races you can always like get through those troubling times with just like a, a stronger mindset and a little bit of a, a good perspective uh and these tests that that we kind of try to put ourselves through are, are definitely supportive in trying to just build out like a stronger mindset um and i also think it helps brett and i you know, we've done a few of these races together, just build a, a closer connection, closer bond into all the stuff that we're trying to do with the meat mafia. 
Yeah, that's that's really cool. It definitely has has a certain appeal. Um, and I kind of I kind of got that out of my system in college <laughs> rowing um, and oh, doing yeah. you know four four hours of, of high volume training a, a day. But <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely see why people like it. Being on the water at six a.m. I'm sure that was a great time. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear um, what are like some of your goals with um, Meat Mafia podcasts, um, and maybe where where folks can find out more about it um, and follow along. Yeah, I think Harry and I can can tag team this one, but you know, it's been it's been really special for us just to see the progression of everything in a relatively short period of time. Um, you know, like Harrison had mentioned, you know, we started writing on Twitter in January and then we, we've launched episode one of the show, I think it was March 1st. And so since that time, we've done about 120 episodes, so wow. we, which it, we, we, it's probably too much content, but for us, it's like, we've seen shows like yourself that have been like pretty inspirational to us. And we've said, look, we're going from never have do done a podcast before to really wanting to get on guests that we think could help people be healthier so we want to be the we want to create the best possible listening experience for our guests, and the only way that we're going to do that is to just continue to get behind the camera and get really engaging guests on. So, like, really, the question that we're trying to answer through the show is like, why are we so unhealthy as a society? But then, how do we bring together some practical solutions that can help people get healthier? So, you know, we've had on a number of great doctors, nutritionists. Um, experts in that space. And then Harrison and I have also really dove deep into regenerative agriculture and building connectivity with our rancher and farmer and improving the quality of our soil health. And so some of the coolest episodes for us are having people that are in the regen space or having a fourth generation rancher on the show that whose whole purpose is like to nourish you and your family with the best quality animal protein possible and help expose people to, to that connection to our food that we've really lost. Um, you know, like Harrison has mentioned, like he's been very intentional about, you know, connecting with a farmer and getting a quarter or a half cow from them. That was like a foreign concept to us a year ago where we had like had great experience with carnivore, um, but we didn't really have this connection with our farmer or we weren't thinking grass fed versus grass finished. So we want to try and like touch on all those little nuanced points so people can walk away from every episode, just feeling like they have a better understanding of our food system um, and really just how to be healthier overall. Um, I don't know if I missed anything there, Harry. No, you crushed it, man. I think that some of the things that we're thinking about is just like, how do we get, you know, closer to our food system and more engaged with what's going on? Because I think that's kind of the fundamental issue that's happened over decades and decades is that we've just grown further and further away from the the food that we're putting in our body or, or the things that we think are food that we're putting in our body. Um, so just trying to educate around those points and Brett and I have a few exciting things in store for the next six to 12 months. We're, we're actually moving out onto a farm to try to learn how to grow some of our own food and that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Get, get some, get our hands dirty a little bit and figure out some, some of this, uh, farming and, and, uh, ranching lifestyle for ourselves. Um, so just trying to think of creative ways to get really good information out there for people to just get a little bit of inspiration to improve their health, you know, one step at a time. Cause that's obviously how Brett and I did it. Yeah, that's that's so cool, and I'm I'm really looking forward to following along that journey. Um, and yeah, I'll have links to everything in the show notes. But where where are some good places for for folks to find you? Yeah, so I I mean, t Twitter is the Twitter is where we started. But I think if you go to our YouTube, just the Meat Mafia podcast spelled out. 
we've pretty much uh, we've gone through and uploaded basically every episode that's in there right now. Um, you know, we also have a Substack, which is if you just Google the Meat Mafia podcast, the Substack will pop up. And uh, you know, we pro we do two to three like thousand word articles per week right now, and we're trying to keep ramping that up a little bit longer form content. And then you know, we're also on Instagram, Meat Mafia podcast, and then we have separate. Uh, Twitter handles, which are those anonymous mafia accounts, which we can, which we can link to as well. But I mean, any of those places are, are good to start. And, you know, I think for us, it's like giving people the, you know, being able to interview guests like yourselves that are specialists and also be able to do some writing and just talk through some of these macro level issues about, you know, what's kind of happened with the food that we're eating and how do we actually fix it moving forward? Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely have links to all that. And thank you both so much for coming on today. It's been awesome to finally meet you guys. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to, to keep following along with both of you. Likewise, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. You've had a big impact on us and we've listened to the show for, for some time. So it's cool for us to be guests on here and appreciate all the work that you've done. Thank you. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out and share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carnivorecast or go to carnivorecast.com. You can also email me at info at carnivorecast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.